I think it's time we blow this thing. Get everybody in the nerds together. Three, two, one, let's jam. The Incomparable. Number 442. January 2019. Don't touch that podcast dial. Uh, Jason Snell is not here. He is on assignment. I'm Tony Sindelar, filling in for him as we discuss the iconic anime series, Cowboy Bebop. Uh, I have assembled a crack team of whoever was available. Uh, you can figure out uh, for the listeners which one's the ex-cop, which one's the ex-hitman, which one the child hacker, which one the con artist, and which one is a trusty corgi. Uh, first off, it's Dan Morin. Uh, the special beef with bell peppers does actually contain beef tonight. Just fair, fair warning to everybody out there. Joining us with an empty stomach, it's Joe Rosensteel. Hi, Joe Steele. Hi, uh, just brought an empty stomach, like usual, like on every episode. <laughs> yeah. Also here, Aline Sims. Uh, what's the next bounty? Uh, also, also here, Moises Chuyan. Three, two, one, let's jam. And last but not least, our anime professor, John Syracuse. Uh, the preferred term is data dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was a spoiler. That's, that's the cutest version of John Syracuse so far. Tony, uh, yes. as, as, Tony, as our noble captain, are we spoiling things right out of the gate? What are we doing? Guide us, captain. We are not spoiling things right out of the gate. We are going to talk a little bit about this 20-year-old anime series, why it's so great, why you might want to check it out. Then we'll sound the spoiler horn and dive into some of our favorite episodes and moments from Cowboy Bebop the series. So if you're like, what the heck are these people talking about? you're going to hear very soon uh, in a spoiler-free way and then followed by a not-spoiler-free way. So, why on earth are we doing a podcast about an anime that came out in, like, 1998 um, that some people may have watched on Adult Swim in 2001 that is very old? Dan, what, what's what, why are we here? Oh, we are here because this is one of the, I would argue, uh, classics, classic seminal works of series-based anime, certainly of the last couple decades. Uh, and for me, uh, honestly, I, I stopped watching a lot of anime after Cowboy Bebop in part because I felt like nothing quite reached the same level. Uh, and I don't know if any, everybody will agree with that sentiment, but I'm guessing there might be some other people out there who are in a similar boat to me. To partially echo and add to what Dan was saying, one of the things about Cowboy Bebop is that um, unlike other series that seem tailor-made um, like American TV shows where it's, you know, we could do 25 episodes a season for 12 years. We could totally do that. Uh, we would be more than happy to just decompress the hell out of things and just stretch things out as much as possible. Cowboy Bebop is happier to leave things unsaid, build character over time, drop breadcrumbs and not just dump a bunch of exposition, um, but reveal things as we see our characters going through some of the same kind of, I guess you would say, job motions, as it were. Um, and, and it never, it never feels, it never feels like it is wearing out its welcome. Um, and I think the fact that fans have spent 20 years begging for more from Shinichiro Watanabe <laughs> and, and the, the creative team, um, to the answer of no, we kind of made it this reason, this way for a reason. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of done with, with what we were going to do with it. Uh, and they moved on and did other stuff. Uh, I, I think that's really a testament to the, um, to the less is more approach where we're not, 
in the process of watching our fourth spinoff of Cowboy Bebop, the next next generation um, or or something that a lot of other anime series are are known for doing, where it's just a matter of, OK, how many adjectives can we attach to the end of this Dragon Ball? Or, uh, sorry, I don't know why I said that. Um, and and how much we can we can just stretch out the sauce and thin it as much as possible. Uh, Cowboy Bebop is thick sauce from the very beginning and very spicy and stays that way all the way to the end. Um, and that we're not discussing the movie. Uh, I think that the, there, there's, there's probably some spoiler related stuff that I'd talk about later, um, regarding the, the feel of one Cowboy Bebop story stretched out to two hours and how it feels very ill fitting as compared to how efficient the show is in yes. 24, 25 minute episodes. Yeah. Well, I was in college when the show uh, started coming out, uh, and I was getting it for, at first fan subs and then commercial VHS. And then uh, I did the math, and it turned out the way it was kind of bundled, it was actually cheaper to buy a DVD player and then the DVDs of Cowboy Bebop wow. than to keep buying the $30, I think only two episode per VHS uh, VHS tapes that came in the big plastic, like bubble thingies. Uh, and this was the, uh, you know, in college, this was the gateway anime for tricking your friends who lived on the same floor as you into watching anime who might be a little reluctant because uh you know it was hard not to love cowboy bebop even for people who are like i don't i don't know about this anime thing (laughs) i have a related college anecdote i started college uh the fall that it premiered on adult swim in the u.s um and we we will probably specifically address the the dub in and of itself um but i was not used to dubs being that good and the animation was amazing the story was great and I had just freshly gotten a uh, financial aid disbursement when a, a limited edition box set of the entire series on DVD hit. And I did that. I did, you know, the, the, some people do really reckless things in college. The reckless thing that I first did in college was buy a, an overpriced limited edition box set of an anime series. That money is for your education. I, and you I learned a lot. The, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I learned. Yes, you did. Uh, let's check in with other people. Uh, John Syracuse, do you have an opening statement of any form? I don't, but I think, uh, I'm, it's not much of an opening statement, but it's an explanation to someone who's listening to this and wonders why, why we're talking about it and why it actually is still relevant. Obviously we're talking about it cause it was, you know, important and really good and so on and so forth, but, but it's still relevant even if you don't care about how important it was to the history of anime or how good the series might've been just because it's structured like pretty much every TV show is now. When it was made, there were other TV shows that were like this and even other anime series. But if you look at it today, it has a very familiar feel, right? So it, it is the self-contained story, uh, which is not as common on TV, but is more common now than it used to be. You'll have series mm-hmm. that run for a season or, you know, or two or tell a self-contained story. Um, it's got a small ensemble cast. It's got a... You know, a, a premise where you can have more or less standalone episodes where your characters go through adventures doing their their job or whatever their you know the basics of their thing. But there's also a story arc, and the story arc is revealed through exploration of characters. You know, telling the characters backstories, lots of flashbacks, lots of slow revealing of these characters who you got to know, interspersed with individual episodes that have them doing adventures and that is a very fam- that's basically all of modern tv modern tv is set aside for the most part especially in kind of action adventure or drama type things the idea where the when the credits roll everything resets to the beginning right they all have some kind of arc and it's very familiar for all of us to see a bunch of characters and not know them in the beginning of the series but 
you know, have episodes where we learn about their mysterious past. Like, mm-hmm. that, that basically describes every single show. And this, again, wasn't the first TV show to do that, but it's so common now. If you watch this, it won't feel like a weird old series that has conventions that you have to get over and or it's filled with, you know, strange anime tropes that you're not familiar with or you have to, like, adjust your, your mindset. It just, it, it feels completely natural. Now, there are weird anime things in it because, you know, but but even in that respect, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, Stoppy, if you heard this one before, it's like kind of an ensemble space western with a bit of a biting comedy edge, but an overall dramatic story arc where we reveal the backstories of mysterious characters. Like it's <laughs> That sounds like a great idea. I'm just going to write this down. By the way, my name is... Um... <laughs> and so, like, that's why I think if you look at this today, uh, no adjustments are required. Uh, well, with one exception that I think we'll get to later. <laughs> one adjustment may be required, um, but it uh, it's, it's still... It, you know, it's comfortable for modern viewers and it feels modern. And in 1998, it felt even more, you know, amazing because A, it was an anime series and B, it, you know, every show on television wasn't like this yet. Mm-hmm. John, John has also uh, explained the premise of the show, which somehow we've been so excited about the show that we've managed to talk for about 10 minutes without telling you. Uh, Cowboy Bebop is a space western. It's about a bunch of space bounty hunters traveling around the solar system looking for space bounties. Uh, but that's a pretty surface level description of what's going on because all the characters have weird wacky backstories and there's a there's an overarching plot as well uh aline are you uh have you came to cowboy Bebop recently or this has been bouncing around your life for a while so i didn't even know about cowboy Bebop until well after the man who is now my husband and i met so i'm like a good 10 years behind the curve on it and i'm actually trying to remember we were talking tonight and I can't remember if I've watched the subs at all. I think I've only mm. watched it dubbed. I'm sorry. I apologize. But it's a really good dub. Um, uh, let, me, let me be the first to say you have nothing to apologize yeah. for. <laughs> this will be interesting because I've never watched the dub, like an entire episode in the dub. So. I watched the dub in ho- homework for this. I've watched the sub, I don't know, five or ten times. So I've not seen the dubbed. It's actually, yeah, it's a real, I don't know. I don't usually like dubbed anime, but it's it's fine. It's good. It makes a lot more sense than a lot of dubbed anime does. Like, a lot of the time you watch something dubbed and you're like, yeah, something weird happened with, you know, trying to get the lips match in the translation because this plot point just does not, like, what they said does not make sense at all. And I think that's one thing I really appreciate is I can watch the dubbed version of this and be like, yeah, this is, this makes sense. Like, I'm not lost. Um, but I, I enjoy it. I've only watched it the two times. So the initial run through, which is probably, I can't even remember, probably like 2009 to 2011. And then, uh, then this watch through. And I was surprised by how much I've forgotten. And <laughs> we'll talk about that later. And, um, I'm not surprised by how cute Corgi cartoons are. <laughs> yeah. Corgis hold up. So they do. They do. I came to this series about the same time uh, as you, Dan and uh, Moises, uh, and uh, it was also a, a, one of those college high school things. I think there's some sort of induction phase that occurs for anime around that time. But uh, I, ha- I really like this. I like the. I mean, I also like the dub. Uh, fine. Uh, I like uh, the series because it's also experimental. Um, so you'd get those really. Incredibly insane episodes where uh, stuff is just 
uh, happening that doesn't seem to fit in with like the serious overarching plot uh, that uh, is involved with Spike's backstory. Um, but uh, those are actually the episodes that I gravitate more towards uh, uh, to, to appreciating. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I really like the series is because uh, of those wacky uh like almost nonsensical episodes <laughs> where uh things do actually kind of reset by the end uh in in several of them um and i look forward to talking about those ones because they're my favorites i was just gonna add that um speaking for myself the first time i encountered the series was actually i went with a few friends to otakon which was a baltimore-based anime convention in 1999 where Shinichiro Watanabe and Yoko Kano did a panel, and they showed, I think, what might have been the first time in America they showed any of these episodes, um, which was, we had no idea going in, because we just went to see this panel, because we had watched uh, Macross Plus, which Shinichiro Watanabe had also co-directed. Um, and we're like, oh, yeah, that, we like Macross Plus a lot. Like, let's go see this panel. And we had zero idea what we were getting into. Uh, we had a very interesting, they sort of laid out the fact that it wasn't shown on Japanese television, uh, because it was too violent and there was a lot of drug content especially in the first episode uh and we we're like what is this this is so bizarre um and then you know i basically went out and bought a bunch of the i bought the first dvd which had i think the first five episodes and then it was it was literally like months uh, to a year <laughs> later before the next volume came out yeah. i just i remember having the same that the same five episodes watching them over and over again i had i had an mp3 mp3 of of tank that i got off napster that i would just play on loop yep and what what more in life did i need you would get to need <laughs> that fifth episode though and just be like what how can you end here i don't know what happens I mean, they should have ended the whole series there <laughs> and i've watched it a lot since then and what, what struck me going back and watching it now is how much i did remember even though i probably haven't watched any of these in at least 15 years um shots like exact shots and you know like animation sequences and stuff that just had become in, indelibly imprinted on my memory because I, I have no idea. I literally could not tell you how many times I've watched this. There's something to be said for the fact this came out almost exactly 18 years ago, where, I mean, it hit right at the beginning of September, uh, the fall of 2001, when your options were watch what's on TV. Um, and it wasn't, you know, you, you, you didn't have all of these streaming channels. And yes, uh, Napster and LimeWire and all that kind of stuff existed, but it was in its infancy and we didn't have um the kinds of hard drives and internet connections uh for college kids to be doing what uh, college kids have done ever since things got to a certain speed uh when it came to acquiring media there there was that kind of scarcity and it was something that uh you know whatever it was that that ended up making you get home and be up late at night uh flipping channels looking for something to watch you would come across this show and how uh, incredibly dynamic the action is and how incredibly core well choreographed the action is and be wondering what is this i thought i knew anime stuff what's what yeah. what what is this that is coming across my eyes dan and i are old men so we 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 came up with anime in a time when you had to like join a club <laughs> yep. and know a bunch of weirdos and 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 trade fans well, i remember when i i copied robot carnival off of a copy to vhs 
VHS. You know, I don't know. I, John, I assume, John, you were you had to create your own anime back in your day. With <laughs> I, I'm trying to th- I, I was hearing more stuff. I said, like, oh, well, you watched it in 2001. I'm like, wait a second. I, mean, I, I looked up the dates. It was only from 1998. To th- 1998 was the release, and 2001 is when it was on Adult Swim. Which probably when a ton of people saw it. Yeah. And I remember when it was on Adult Swim, turning my nose up at it. It's like, oh, well, if you haven't seen Cowboy <laughs> Bebop by now, like, that that show was ancient. It was not that long between no. when because I got that, it, like... That speaks to who you were at that age, John, more than anything. Yeah, I, I didn't... You know, I, I eventually bought the DVDs and all sorts of other stuff, but the way I actually watched it was... Uh, tiny little i mean they're tiny by today's standards fan sub downloads that's how i watch cowboy bebop fan sub downloads i didn't even know like a dub existed and some of us were just more advanced than than others of us john i don't think i could have even found a download of this at that day and age it was it was not easy it was back when finding stuff there was no BitTorrent. there was it was very difficult to find things but if you were in the right circles i mean it's not like this show was hard to find it was if they were gonna but what you're saying is y- you were posting on alt.rec.arts.syracusa <laughs> Yeah, no, if you if you if there was one anime show you were going to find in the nineties on the internet, you were able to find this, and the fan subs were surprisingly good. Like it, that, I, that was that was part of what got me on board with digital download fan subs. That you the, the big competition would be who who are the best fan subbing groups yeah. and who had the both. So you download multiple ones and, and compare them and see which had the best explanations. <laughs> Science. But that, that, the, yeah, part of the reason this works really well, yeah, uh, you know, mentioning the uh, how you can understand the story from the dub or the subs is. Because of the genre and because of just the way the show is, it's not super wordy. <laughs> There's not no. tons and tons yeah. of dialogue. The whole show is very tight. And because of the sort of noir, you know, hard-boiled kind of like... There's the action is very visual and the dialogue is a, a line or two here that you don't it's like flavor text like you don't even practically need the dialogue to understand more or less what's going on people's facial expressions and and you know just the the choreography of the action everything explains a lot the periodic flashback bits don't even have dialogue for the most part yeah you know there's music music is the yep. dialogue. i mean that was thing we spent so much time trying to piece together just based on that like what actually happened like what is the chronology of events because it is tricky at times to tell with that because it's so laconic in its in its dialogue like trying to assemble um you know bits and pieces of the stories you'll get images here and there and be like whoa what is the deal with that and like i don't even know it doesn't come up again for like there's literally mm-hmm. a plot point i think that comes up in episode three or four that i'm not sure is explained until literally about 10 minutes before the show ends yeah, that's, that's the thing about the the reset like uh we'll talk about this later but there's, there's an episode where uh some stuff is revealed in someone's backstory and you're like oh i'm really interested in that and then the show seems to forget about it but it doesn't forget about it. It comes back to it later because it's on the character's mind and it's on your mind. And they, you know, they do revisit these things. There really are only, you know, five to eight episodes here that deal with like the ongoing plot. But as you guys point out, like it's sort of sprinkled at times yeah. throughout the rest of the story. But I mean, you could get by if you watched. I, I have to imagine be like you could watch the spike arc, which is only about five episodes. And, and mm-hmm. it's like kind of a long movie. But I don't think it would hit the same way. Yeah, you Need to, you need to have the arcs against each other because there's there's conversations that are all about their each of their backstories colliding with who they are as people yeah and you need the the breathing room in the pacing i yeah. think is just as important like i you know mm-hmm. uh, we'll get into some of this but the genre yeah. stuff i think is particularly interesting yeah so the the other reason you might want to take a look at this this is true of a lot of anime but particularly this show is and uh, why why it might be and is uh, particularly appealing appealing to americans is it takes tons of stuff that we are familiar with from 
American culture, and it refracts it through the the yes. the uh, you know broken crystal of, Jap- of, the, of the Japanese culture, and it comes back at us very strange and mixed in strange kind of, so we already said we, you know space western which is a thing right uh which arguably was uh mm-hmm. you know pioneered it's also by kind of Ka- neo-noir yeah Ka- Ka- you got, yep you got you got noir in there you've got blues and jazz you've got you know the, the whole bounty hunter hunter vibe you've got all the american space franchise from star trek to star wars you know american de- detective movies uh, and it just it goes into this blender mixed with tons of Japanese stuff and a couple of anime tropes, good and bad, and it comes back out into this crazy remix. And that's part of I think why why it was you know mentioned being indoctrinated into the culture as college students or whatever. Why it hits so well with America? It's kind of like Ghost in the Shell, and they're, they're taking you know the aspects of action movies that are palatable to Westerners. Like this is perhaps one of the most Western anime, but I think it is in, in a good way, not in a way of like we're going to try to do a show you're familiar with. It is in the best possible sense taking the familiar and remixing it and turning it all on its head, and that's why it's so appealing. It's like a joke that you know it comes at you sideways. It doesn't work if it's a straightforward, right? Uh, and this. There's nothing straightforward about this mixture, but all the pieces are familiar and tasty. Just to tack on to the <laughs> end of that, I think the 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 part that sort of uh, it also plays into that is that it plays with the genre because, like, we've said space western, neo noir, etc. But like, there are episodes of this that are just straight up farce, and there are yep. episodes of it that are verging horror. on horror. Yeah, and it's like yeah. it, it really like you know it's kind of like the weather in New England. Like, you don't like that episode? Wait five minutes; it'll be a different genre entirely. And so I think that's another other thing you know we talked i think maybe moises said something earlier about how fresh it remains um and and part of that is because you never quite know what to expect it's not really one thing throughout it does really veer around and deal in all these different genres and tropes etc and i think that that helps hey it's jason here and i am interrupting this podcast to which i'm not on but Tony is doing a great job running it. Thank you to Tony for doing that. And I am still getting caught up with my Cowboy Bebop. Just didn't have time to watch it all. I'll get there. I'm a very slow anime watcher. But I want to tell you about our sponsor, because we do have a sponsor this week, and it is Linode. This episode is not just brought to you by Linode. The Incomparable is brought to you by Linode. The server that we run, the incomparable.com on, it's a Linode server. And you can run your own server in the cloud too. And it's super cheap. With Linode, you can have access to a whole suite of powerful hosting options. Prices start at just $5 a month, which quite frankly is ridiculous. That is such a low price for a server on the internet. And you can be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in less than a minute. There are hundreds of thousands of Linode customers, including the incomparable, all taken care of by a very friendly 24-7 support team. I have been in touch with them every now and then over the years that I've used Linode. They are super responsive uh, and and friendly is a good word for it. They are They know when you're upset because something is wrong and your server went down or your server had to reboot or there's something going on. Um, the interactions I've had with them have been super positive. Uh, you can email them, call them, chat over IRC. Uh, I was doing email and some web stuff. It was really great, and they got a solution. It was all taken care of. They know how important it is to get your server uh, back up and running, or to install something, or to change your settings, or just anything you can think of. Amazing guides available, documentation, so you have references when you need it. They've got a super easy-to-use web-based control panel that will let you deploy, boot, resize, clone your servers in just minutes, and just click, 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 click. I don't have to do anything. 
weird. I can just use their web browser interface to do the whole thing. There's two-factor authentication, so you can be safe and sound as well. So let's get to those prices again, because I said they were ridiculous. One gig of RAM for $5 a month. And there are high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of RAM as well. And as a listener to The Incomparable, if you sign up at linode.com slash Snell, that's my last name, you will not just be supporting The Incomparable, but you are going to get something. You're going to get $20 toward any Linode plan. Now do the math, geniuses. You are smart people to listen to The Incomparable, and you know what that means. 20 divided by 5 is 4 free months on that 1 gig of RAM plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. If uh, you think better of it, you can just walk away. No cost to you. Go to linode.com slash Snell. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash Snell to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting The Incomparable, for serving The Incomparable, and for being so awesome. And also thanks to Tony Sindelar. Tony and company, back to you. Um, some things that very uh, that, that aren't just um, you know kind of oh you expect that kind of stuff from anime but a little bit of kind of 1998 uh, anime um, that, that don't come across so great that that kind of uh, that relate to gender politics uh, some some uh, racial stuff um, that that shouldn't blindside you uh, but it's not as replete as it's as it's found in so many other series but uh, as as much as I love this show and will still advocate people see it absolutely um, you you should be aware of that it's like going to a family meal where um, you know that one particular relative has an issue with flatulence that they just can't control you should just be aware uh, to just you know that that's that's not the entirety of the experience um, um, and I, I've, I've also seen some bits of that stuff kind of apologized for, which we'll get into more in spoiler territory uh, that I that I kind of have issues with. But it, it's um, it's 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 great that it holds up as well as it does, where a lot of other stuff, not just from its time, but in the time since uh, has some really cringy, weird gender politics stuff um, and uh, and misogynistic stuff. Uh, th- this one is not as bad on those fronts as uh, as as other anime that might have have turned people off but they are they are still definitely there yep yeah that's, that's what i was referring to is the certain yeah. aspects of the culture are are definitely in there and you know and you it is it is a thing of its time and everything of its time is reflected in a good and bad all right i think we have we have talked uh, at length about how much we love this without talking about the details it's time to sound the spoiler horn <laughs> So, we are now in spoiler territory. You no longer need to hold back if there are things you want to talk about uh, in terms of the show in general. I thought I thought it would be great to kind of do not a draft, but a, a discussion of some of our favorite episodes. Um, uh, Joe and Aline, tell, tell me, uh, t- we, we, we heard a lot from other people. What, what are your thoughts on Cowboy Bebop now that we're in spoiler, uh, not safe, but spoiler tolerating waters? I, my metaphor space, my metaphor does not work. But, uh, I, I would say that, uh, one thing that I, I would, I would get out of the way in the spoiler territory is a controversial opinion that I have that, uh, I, f- I find vicious kind of boring. <laughs> that is not controversial. V- vicious, vicious is a very specific brand of boring, pretty, long haired yeah. anime bad guy. Yeah. I, I don't care for it and, i don't i don't yeah. understand joe he's a character in anime and he has silver hair that makes him interesting <laughs> he, he has a familiar <laughs> and a bird he's got a bird yeah he has a cor- cormorant yeah it's ex- an explosive cormorant <laughs> you know i mean joe a sword swords swords are inherently interesting joe so 
Yeah, I mean, Sword is definitely a personality. Um, that's that's what you look for in your villains. Also, uh, I'm like you, but the mirror image that's a sociopath um, is... I don't know. Not not that great. I, I prefer uh, Cowboy Andy uh, being a mirror image of Spike. <laughs> Definitely a better character. <laughs> I love Cowboy Andy. I know people hate Cowboy Andy. Who hates uh, Cowboy Andy? Who? I had, you know what? I had forgotten about Cowboy Andy, and then he came back, and I was like, oh, yeah, Cowboy Andy. Well, look, John, if people can hate Edward, uh, people definitely what? hate Cowboy what? Andy. What? That's, what? No. That's, not, that's not a thing. That's, that's that, not allowed. This is impossible. Is I don't know what you're talking about. It's totally a thing. It's totally a thing. These are all terrible people that come nowhere near this podcast that's why all right uh aline how you doing i don't know i don't know that i have anything spoilery i i love i mean i guess edward since we're on that um edward is my favorite character when i think of the series i think of ed and ein more than anything else and it's just because ed is such a strange little person and Mm -hmm. it's like i don't know I, I, you want to talk about an unpredictable character. You know, there, so often we have characters who we know, oh yeah, that's kind of in line with their character and that's not. And we can argue over whether the, the creators or the writers represented that character well. But Ed is such a random wild thing that <laughs> there's never any way to predict what's going to happen. I mean, and you t- you can tell the very beginning, like, she's talking about herself in, like, the third person. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay. And just, like, this little, little strange computer hacker genius is amazing to me. And then later on, we meet her father, and it's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot that makes sense now. I totally get that. I had forgotten about her father entirely. Like, she forgot about uh, his father, forgot about yeah. her too. Yeah. I just, I love how kind of befuddled by her, Spike and Jet are. Like, they, like, she's on the ship and they can't really do anything about uh-huh. that. And like, sometimes she's, she's helpful when they're doing some particular bounty, but like, they're just, they're just perplexed. Yeah, like, well, they're not really equipped to be particularly no. good caretakers and they have a hands off no. attitude. But the thing is, she's, she's a wild child for reasons that make sense and she doesn't become tame no no well the the best explanation of her is in a hard luck woman which is also her her last episode yeah. but it's that you know the they stumble upon sort of this this place where she had been living with all these other kids and this nun and mm-hmm. the nun uh-huh. says like she wandered in like a stray cat and then she like two years later she wandered out again which is essentially exactly what she does to the crew of the bebop too right like she wanders in like drags them in because she's you know heard about them and then when she feels like it she decides to leave and as i mentioned i think we were talking about this a little earlier today uh the end of that episode like man it makes me tear up every time there's something there is something incredibly poignant about her even though like she she and i move on and they you know presumably go off and have further adventures it's you know the breaking up of the family and particularly that shot where spike looks out at the deck where he where ed has spray painted her goodbye message and it's just like, oh man, it's just like there's dust. It's dusty in here, guys. It's dusty. I, the, the further, ad, the further adventures of Edward is like the only continuation of the anime that I'm 
yeah. especially yes. interested in. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I, I want to see where that character is 10, 20 years yes. later. Yeah, um, I thought that too. <laughs> The, the 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 background of the creation of the character that I found the most fascinating as as I dug into being obsessive about this show Wait, based is based on that, Yoko Kano, right? <laughs> based on Yoko Kano, the character is originally supposed to be a boy. The original design for the character can be seen in the episode where the two kids are stealing nudie mags from the convenience store. Oh, yeah. um, and and when Watanabe got to working with Yoko Kano, he was like, no, this is I, I mean, I, she, she's like this in real life. I can just put this on the page and this will work. And and I think that's that's one of the things that um, that I would enjoy the show, I guess. But I, I mentioned like there, there really are people who are vocally like anti Edward and and who I think vicious is awesome. That They're those type of people. <laughs> Do those be those people with their full back Sephiroth tattoos? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that gets into like we were talking about uh, you know uh, criticisms of the show or particular characters, and I, I, like I I, I love the show, but watching it again for what the third or fourth time, uh, I, I was struck by uh, how how clearly certain parts of it don't work and what audience it's aimed for. So the whole show is in general very melodramatic which is perfect if you are in your teens or 20s 20s. and looking for (laughs) right you know it's like and that vibe and the thing is it pulls that off it doesn't like it doesn't swing for that and miss it actually pulls that off but it is what it is right so it's very melodramatic uh the villain as we mentioned vicious is like not really character doesn't work he's got a sword and a coat and yeah. a coat. Yeah. Julia is even worse. She is an entirely a placeholder non-character. Mm-hmm. Yep. Luckily, yeah. the, the show, like, uh, on the, this, like, and that part of it, and, and the ending, the ending is also overwrought and dumb. Like, the, the show, having it go down that way makes perfect emotional sense to, if you're in the right headspace, but doesn't make any logical sense. And if you're in a more adult emotional heart space, also doesn't make any sense. But mm-hmm. the show is what it is. But the, the, what Dan was mentioning before is, I feel like as an adult, that's not the heart of the show. The heart of the show is these people with difficult backgrounds accumulating and finding each other and balling up Katamari style into this collective, having adventures and supporting each other despite their brokenness, because they don't support each other particularly well, because they're not equipped to support each other particularly well, but they do end up supporting each other, and you come to relate to that bond, and that's why... uh, episode 24 hard luck woman is i feel like the adult emotional yeah. climax it's, of the show because that is the dissolution of the group uh not in a in a bittersweet way it's not yes. they are not triumphant they are not defeated but they are nevertheless moving on and then we have yeah. to do these sort of uh teenage is vicious cool ending yeah. but and i feel like and i don't want to downplay that because it's a great example of that. If that's what you're looking for, if you are 15 and in a, in a dark mood, this is the show for you. And I think it, it is a, it is a heightened version of that. But you may miss the fact that Vicious is a non-entity. Julia is a complete a placeholder cipher that encourages uh, bad attitudes towards women. You won't notice the terrible treatment of Faye at all, the partially terrible treatment of Faye at all, and you will just absorb the sort of teenage boy angstiness. Uh, but I feel like Despite all of that, the heart of the show that is described of that group remains and is valid and is unassailable, even with all the other baggage. The food metaphor that came to me as I was cooking and eating 
all like crazy watching the show. I don't know what it is about the show, but it makes me incredibly hungry. I, I live with the cast in that respect, in that respect is that the show itself is like a stew. It has a lot of ingredients in it and there's some of them you may not necessarily like, but you can kind of pick them out or push them to the side and it, it all hangs together. And to, to jumping back to, you know, my point about Edward, Edward is, is what ties the whole thing together. The show wouldn't work without any of its main pieces, but especially so without Ed. I, I cannot see um, this show working as well without the formulation of Ed with the personality that she has that came out of the collaborative work with Yoko Kano. Um, and it's, you know, great work sometimes comes about seeming like a total accident. And this is one of those miraculous accidents. And to, to sort of keep going with your food metaphor there, I think what also is interesting about this is that as you revisit this from a different, you know, in a different time in your life, your tastes may have changed. And so things you didn't care for before or things that, you know, to John's point about being a 15 year old boy, things that you really liked, you know, you come to see in a different light when you come back to revisit it in your 30s or 40s, etc. Uh, so, for example, for me, like coming back to it this time, the story, I actually found Faye's backstory much more resonant with me uh as a as an older <laughs> adult than i did when i when i was younger and watched this show and found it i think kind of distracting and boring but i actually something about you know some of those episodes especially speak like a child which is um the it has its sort of wackiness to it but also has this kind of uh you know unlocking of her backstory is to me i i really love that episode this time around much more i think than i did when i first watched the show well, Dan, I think you're segueing us into the unofficial not a draft draft. Uh, and it sounds like your first round not a draft draft pick <laughs> is Speak Like a Child. I'll take it. I'll take it. Okay. I mean, a, an episode that deals with not only with, you know, one of our characters' backstories, but also involves... Uh, format Wars. Yeah. <laughs> search so. for a VCR that is in a beta format, and then they end up with the wrong one. And also plot points that don't get resolved, including who is sending them all this stuff? <laughs> Yeah. Like, we never learned that. And, like, I, I'm okay with it. Again, a lot of the questions in this show are not necessarily answered, and I find it hilarious. It's, like, lost. It's fine. You, you can retcon some of that pretty easily, though. Sure. But, like, you know, I, I enjoy this story, especially uh, Spike and Jet's uh, interaction in the VCR, in the retro shop, uh, where Spike <laughs> kicks the VCR player a lot because it's not working properly. Usually when they kick things, it fixes them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So then they owe the guy a lot of money for breaking <laughs> its one Betamax deck. Um, but yeah, I, I think that arc with, with Faye, um, and you know, as I think we've alluded to, there are some some complications in her portrayal, especially in her character design. I think we would agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That don't age as well. We, we, we could have, we could have a, a quick subtopic on that because I think it's it's interesting and it's fairly straightforward. So Faye, uh, her character design is straight up fan service teenage boy male gaze anime one hundred percent. She's put in in uh, Barbie doll poses to let the, the boys, uh, you know stare at her and like that's that's all there and yet her character is written not like that yeah for the most part which is it's almost like the writers were not talking to the people who were drawing this character her interactions with the other characters she's she's never sexually menaced there is no episode where she is sexually assaulted she is not fridged she is not damseled like she's just written like the character that she is this sort of you know wise cracking huckster with a mysterious past you know who like 
it, it has a little bit of, of uh, you know, attachment issues and is sneaky and like she, the character is what it is. And yet it's dressed up as this anime Barbie doll with ridiculous, totally, totally, uh, you know, uh, impractical everything about her. And, you know, when I first watched the show, I saw that as well. And I think it I, I appreciated it more than as a juxtaposition. And now I just see it as like, no, not really much of a juxtaposition. They just wrote an okay character and put this thing on the screen. That was, and, and the bad thing is like her facial animation, her essentially acting, if you ignore the outfits, is all good. Like yes. she she's drawn from the neck up really well. Everything else is like it's like jessica rabbit it's like what are, what yeah. are we even yeah. what are we even doing here like it's and, and it stands out in the show uh they do that with a few other characters but the show is capable of drawing female characters who are not constantly wearing lingerie like there are a bunch of them in the episodes and it's perfectly fine uh vt or or uh what's her name uh anastasia but you're not supposed to call her that uh like Annie, there's Annie, all, Annie, yeah. Annie. yeah there's all sorts of it and it just it it mars the show, even though it's such an iconic thing about the show, and even though it yeah. is kind of like a cool design, it, it mars the show and it dates the show. And the worst part is, it's not an important part of the show. It is just like a thing that is on the screen while you're watching the show. And I, I do appreciate that that at least that part holds up. So yes, she is very dressed she's dressed in a very skimpy tight outfit throughout the series but as you said she's never it's never a sexual sexualized thing it's like the other characters can't see her <laughs> it's like she, like they literally can't see her because she wears this type of outfit and no one else you know there's a couple of scenes where she is ogled by third parties like minor characters but i agree like the the interactions with the rest of the main cast like there's not even really any I, for some reason in my head, like, I think I imagined more, like, you know, sexual tension between Spike and Faye. And, nope. like, there's there's really not any. Like, there's maybe some brief, like, flirtatious lines once or twice, but it's really not a a point of their relationship at all. In fact, they sub- they subvert it. It's no more overboard than, than Jake Peralta and Amy Santiago in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's that kind of, like, you know, two people on the same beat giving each other crap. But but they they even subvert that like in, in Ballad of Fallen Angel uh, Spike's flashback he's he's listening to Julia hum a song and then when he's all bandaged up on the bebop he's listening yeah. to Faye hum the song and it's like oh here they're gonna make the connection yeah. Faye is your new love <laughs> no they subvert that instantly by him by him saying that she can't sing right that's not they don't they if there's even a hint of that they nip it in the bud they're like that's not what's going on there's no pairing there's no tension it's not happening they're basically uh, a brother and sister who fight with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have a very, they're roommates, is yeah. there, you know, or uh, roommates and co-workers, which is not a good combination. R- roommates who steal each other's food to ill yes. effect. Well, there's, I mean, there's, there's a food shortage, so. Yeah. A constant, never-ending food shortage. You get you get the sense that it's really just who gets there first with the food for everybody. And write each other invoices. Roommates always write each other invoices, that's the thing. Though. Yeah, so. One thing about her, though, that I really dislike is you're watching this this series where uh, sometimes they skimp on background character animation and like lips moving on on characters that are supposed to be delivering dialogue. And uh, then somebody's like, you know what? In the same episode, we're going to spend a lot of time drawing like some jiggle. There's a whole team. Yeah. There's a whole team that does that. There's there's people who specialize yeah. in that. Why? Why? Yeah, that's that's just part. That's all part of the experience. And the thing is, like, 
you can have a beautiful, sexy character in a show and have them use that as a plot point, but it doesn't doesn't work when it seems like I said when it seems like the other characters don't see them. The camera is constantly looking down her shirt and looking at her butt or whatever, and she's constantly doing these poses, but no one else seems to see that. It's like this is just for you, the viewer. Yeah, it's just for the it's just for the teenage boy. Yeah. Meanwhile, these people are acting out a story. This is separate from the story. Just I don't know to keep you entertained. It's like the definition of fan service. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not on the extreme end of male gaze. It's definitely on the male gaze spectrum, but it's not as I mean, it's not cutie honey for crying. Oh out yeah, loud. I mean, the, the, we, it's a it's a sliding scale here, but but uh, like it it stands out more just because they don't fall into almost any of the other traps. And they even do it with uh, the the drug smuggler lady in the first episode, yeah. and they do have characters you know looking down her shirt or whatever at various parts. It's like it's like they feel like it's something that needs to be in there. Yeah, and I and I like Dan have kind of fallen out of keeping up with anime. I don't know if this is if it's still if this is how it was in the '90s and things have changed, but I suspect that there's still oh things haven't of, changed too much. Things Tony. have not changed. That's what I figured. <laughs> well, I mean, it's still a spectrum. I think there's like yeah. uh, there are shows that avoid it entirely. There always kind of always have been, and there still are. But it is mm-hmm. a spectrum. There are shows that are entirely dedicated to this. Like there's something for everybody, right? But I feel like this show, if it was made today, wouldn't feel the need to put that in because they would have the confidence to say, "We can do just a, a you know a straight up cowboy bebop style show, but without that stuff." Like we, it doesn't. It's not like every anime has to have this one character. It doesn't. Like there are plenty of series that don't have this at all that work fine. I guess. I mean. I, it kind of feels like if we're doing a pilot of something on HBO, we have to have, you know, frontal nudity because... <laughs> that is definitely true. In episodes one, two, and three, there has to yeah. be... Uh, although at least HBO and other, you know, actual live action dramas are becoming... They're changing the ratio slightly closer to even. Not even... Not actually close to even, but instead of it being 100 to zero, it's 95 to five in terms of men and women having to be naked in the first few episodes. Well, that was a great tangent about Faye and and how uh, society is still broken. Um, Joe Steele, do you want to tell us about a favorite episode or moment from Cowboy Bebop? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, my favorite episode uh, is Toys in the Attic, although uh, uh, the the gate uh, shuffle is... The gateway shuffle, yeah, is a close second. Um, but uh, just because I, 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 like I said earlier, I really gravitate towards these wacky ones. Um, and Toys in the Attic is, uh, what if we did Alien? But it was about a uh, lobster somebody left in the fridge too long, and yes. uh, that, that that is uh, pretty entertaining to me. I mm-hmm. guess uh, we get the whole crew dealing with this thing, and it's resolved with uh, some rainbow glittering fridge going out into yeah. space to Swan Lake, and uh, Ed wakes up from a dream and eats the the black monster thing because mm. she thinks it's pudding. So uh, it's a delightful yeah. episode. This one is basically educational. I feel like if some of my college roommates had seen this episode earlier, <laughs> a lot of situations would have been averted, is all is all I'm saying. So, uh, hi, Anthony. Um, so <laughs> You need an airlock in your in your shared apartment. If, you, if only you could just push that fridge out in zero G and just let it float away. Yeah. The, you know, the number of times that I wish I had gone to college in space are many. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, great, great choice, Joe. I, that's that would have been my pick also. Uh, I, there's just something about that episode and the tone of it that's so uh, kind of weird and bizarre. Uh, it, it, there's the kind of the horror elements where we have all these like scenes from the view of the like mm-hmm. skittering blob, uh, and then there's just you know the kind of the ridiculousness of uh, Spike arming himself up to go after the blob after everyone else has been bitten, and he's got like a net gun and a flamethrower and his guns. I forget if he has any grenades on him, but he has a foil. <laughs> 
He has yeah. a yes, fencing he has foil. <laughs> fencing foil. With a piece of the burned meat on the yep. end that he tries to eat yes. again, you know, <laughs> yeah. not having learned his lesson that it tastes terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's you know what, Spike? You get you take one weapon per hand. Don't, you know, less is more. I also love the 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 one of my favorite animated shots in that is the shot of him opening the fridge when he finds mm-hmm. it. It is just like it, it is one of the few pieces of like hand drawn animation that I feel like you get the physical revulsion mm. of yes. <laughs> the really visceral. The, the visuals connotate a certain smell, which is uh, impressive. Oh, yeah. Even thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So next episode, next episode, what? Next episode. Yeah. Uh. It's a nice mix of genres, too, because, you know, the horror thing and the alien thing. But it's also like a, kind of like a, a send up of horror, because in the same way, in the horror, you know, horror movies, the the the, 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 the your characters go down one by one, mm-hmm. but they go down one by one in this because they're all stupid. Like yes. they, they all don't, don't take it seriously. And you know, even Ayn goes down. It's like, where's your dog instincts? What the hell? Like yeah. it, it, it's more like cabin in the woods than, uh, than like, you know, uh, Halloween. Well, and it's a good encapsulation for who they are because they're not the most competent of <laughs> really are humans. <laughs> like they're not great at bounty hunting. They're not great at budgeting. They're not great at ensuring they have enough food. They're you know they seem to always have water, which is good. They're not good at cooperating. They're not good at communicating. <laughs> they maybe get like two bounties in the entire series, maybe. It's very low. I was I was watching yeah, this time. Well, they, they do stuff off screen because you see they're like, what yes. about yes. the bounty? Like, apparently, they're making enough money to keep the ship going and go from place to yeah. place. So we get to see the dramatic. But ones. almost every episode is them failing to catch yes. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> well, and a couple times it's it's, it's a couple times they, they do get invalidated multiple times where like there is not a valid bounty on uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or they or they die or yeah. they decide not to take the money for the bounty because of out of the goodness of their heart, like the chess yeah, master. Yeah. I was like, really. Guys, what's what's the mortgage on the ship like this yeah, week? Can you afford it, that? Take, take a little payoff. <laughs> yeah, I forget. I forget the exact episode that references it. Uh, but th- there's a reference to something like, oh, a year ago. Uh, actually, it's this one. It's toys in the attic. Uh, he, he, it's 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 that a year has passed since he put mm. that in the fridge. And if I if I recall correctly, uh, the implication is that. I mean, it, it could be that a year ago the entire crew was together, and the episodes that we're seeing, we're just catching up with them when they're hardest on their luck. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. That's when we're checking in on them, and not when they're you know regularly being fed and doing a good job of mm-hmm. of their jobs. Uh, I kind of I kind of like that. That's most of when we check in with them and see their lives is when they're not scratching it together terribly well. Yeah, we we don't see the day in day out where they're just cranking through the bounties and just a lot of filing of paperwork. That's not it doesn't make for a good episode. So, yeah. Uh, Aline Sims, do you want to tell us about a favorite episode? It's of course jamming with Edward. Oh, um, that was my next on my list. That's uh-huh. good items on my list. So, uh, I just let you know I love Ed, and this this is our introduction to Ed. And you don't know the first time you watch it, you're like, who is the strange little person? Do they remain through the, you know, am I getting more of this? Am I going to be equally confused throughout the rest of the series? And the answer is yes, you do get all of that. But I just, I don't know. There's just, there's just something about Ed that mm-hmm. I, I love so, so very much. Uh, yeah. Ed is just, it's such a great character. Uh, there's, there's the kind of sweet innocence to Ed that mm-hmm. I feel like probably holds the family together better. Like, because, 
Spike and Faye and Jet are all pretty broken, and you know Spike and and, and Jet have some teamwork, but Faye is like, there's even the kind of kind of the sub theme of like they seem to like keep rejiggering what exactly is the arrangement with Faye, like how much are they cooperating versus yeah. like whoever gets there first versus like what's the deal, um, yeah, and I I always forget how many episodes it takes into the series to introduce. Edward, because it's yeah. episode nine, nine in the twenty six yeah. episode, and and Edward leaves before the last two. She's so. in the credits too, so you spend the yes. first eight episodes going, "Who is this person in the credits that I haven't met?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah if this was an American show, they would have uh, immediately introduced all of these characters in the first or second episode, yes. and then just gone with the rest of the series. Whereas this, we we do finally get Edward in episode nine. It's just crazy. One of the things that, um, that, that I think is great about this episode is that, you know, you can say heresy, but this is, this being the first episode where the whole team is together. If you show somebody this episode and they distinctly dislike it, they are probably not going to like any of the rest of the show. Um, cause it's, it, for me, a nice mix of the overall whole dynamic. You get a little bit of, of everything that, that is the dynamic of the show. And it lets you get a look at everybody, not just because it's the first episode of Edward, but it's, it's a good representative episode of the chunk that include the entire main cast, including the dog. Mm-hmm. I love, I always remember the sequence where, uh, Jet is hitting the street and he's talking to all the people on earth about who Radical Edward is and everyone's got weirder and weirder stories. Uh, yeah. That, al- that, al- that always sticks with me as like one of also one of the few times they seem to do like investigative bounty hunting <laughs> work, right? You know, it's, it's a really good episode. It has like kind of a weird, it, it like a 2001 ish theme mm-hmm. to it. Um, you know, with the, with the AI who's by itself and lonely and is in, in space and just drawing pictures on the ground because it used to really like looking at pictures. Um, and I, I, I really love the, to the bit at the end, which is echoed a little bit in, in hard luck woman where Ed flies the, the bebop remotely <laughs> via the drone mm, and does yeah. the, uh, that part is the part that always makes you laugh is the part before that where the two cops come to arrest her and she <laughs> flies their police cruiser into the ground and they are just yep. totally befuddled. Uh, I, uh, I believe this is also the first time we see, we visit earth in the series, right? Yes. And it kind mm-hmm. of presents the mystery of what, what, what the heck's wrong with earth? Answered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Covered, covered in garbage. <laughs> oh. oh, some things haven't changed. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of things, like, they, that's another one of those breadcrumb trails, like the, uh, what happened to Earth? We learned eventually what happened to Earth through several different people's backstories, and particularly the thread about the gates being not quite safe, mm-hmm, and that yeah. fact being covered up. Like, I don't, not, it's not much you need to cover up. The, the gate, the gate accident was pretty significant, and <laughs> caused a pretty big problem, basically destroyed the Earth and made it uninhabitable, and the company knew about it, and they have a separate episode about that, and you have the, uh, the boy, the, kid. yeah, the kid, like, that that thread like this fact of the universe that there are gates and that they're not safe and that they're basically what destroyed the earth and made it uninhabitable is thread throughout the entire thing like if there is a non-character based overall plot it's uh humans uh, made space gates but they weren't safe and they screwed everything up and now the world is a lot worse than you might think it is even though we have spaceships yeah, we have we have basically created the Wild West in space, but in our rush to get into space unsafely. And every once in a while, there's a huge catastrophic explosion. And we're probably due for one. Some, if the show went on for yeah. more than one season, the whole solar system would eventually be destroyed. 
thanks, thanks, John. That's really com- comforting. I, I haven't read any of the Expanse books, but I assume that's what's coming in that series. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to spoil anything, but um, you know, they could be a part of a shared universe. Uh, Moises. Favorite episode, I, um, favorite moments. I'm I well uh, of the ones that haven't been picked. I, I was I was kind of I was between an episode that has Edward in it and one that comes before Edward's introduced. And I think I'm going to go with Heavy Metal Queen um, mm-hmm. because it 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 it's a it's a great dynamic of the team episode. Even though sadly we don't have Edward for another couple episodes, um, it. It's it's one of the best paced uh, of them all, and you know it's it's a show full of very well paced episodes, um, and uh, and VT. See, I'll get it right this time. Uh, VT is is one of those they show up for an episode characters uh, that really, I mean, they they feel like a fully fleshed out. Uh, created character. Um, and I kind of like that the bad guy, uh, looks like Woody Allen. He's a terrible <laughs> yes. human being. Yeah. <laughs> With his distinctive, uh, dragon, dragon tattoo. tattoo. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, uh, space, space truckers. Who doesn't love space truckers? So. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. You, trucker movies. That's a genre. Can we mix that in? Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like, uh, the scene where they go to bust, uh, where Faye thinks she has the yes. guy and she's going to bust him. And it's, uh, it's, of course, the wrong guy. The nervous Woody Gallon guy leaves with the dragon tattoo. She catches it and then looks down at the 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 guy who she's part of the tattoo rips it off and then he says he has to think for eels (laughs) it's a a love eel it's a love he just just loves eels so yeah it's an episode i've seen many many times because it's it's an early one yeah uh and you know i had that same dvd that i was watching over and over again so uh john what do you what do you got for us uh, most of mine have already been named. Are we? Did you, you said jokingly in the Slack before that we all get Ballad of Fallen Angels. Is that true? And will we have a chance to talk about it later? Because if not, I'll talk about it now. Let's. Why don't you? T- you, you can do. You can. You can talk about it now if you want. So all go right. for it. So that's the, the reason we said that's the one that everyone's going to pick. Is if you just start watching the show and you watch the first couple episodes, it, it is very episodic. Like there are some characters. We, we get Spike and Jet from scene one. And they do. They're bounty hunters, and they hunt bounties. And the stories are a little bit different. And you're not really told much about the universe again. You aren't even mentioned like, so what's the deal with Earth and what planet are they on? And they're in Tijuana, but Tijuana is on an asteroid. It doesn't really make it, you know. So, you know, there's some kind of backstory. But episode five is where it shows you there is going to be like there is a deeper arc. Let's show you uh, that, that there is a larger story. So it gets, you know, it gets us into uh, Spike's backstory and. It seems like it's an episode where we're going to be learning about his dark past as part of organized crime, and we get this stereotypical uh, anime villain. And but that stuff, I think, despite that, like I said, it's it's well done. Like the crime syndicate, the big skyscrapers, the organized crime stuff, the you know the huge windows and the sunset and the blood and the the shots of the sword and the dripping. Like it's all very well done. It's top top shelf version of this thing. <laughs> uh, and then in the end episode, we have this confrontation between Spike uh, and. Uh, vicious and with 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 Faye involved and another skimpy outfit uh right but but even that like i think the music works really well and that whole whole, uh, opera scene and everything like it it ups its game a little bit and then i think one of the signature uh you know shots or sequences of the entire series is a extended flashback revealing spike's backstory in a very no dialogue artistic Mm -hmm. way takes place entirely while he is falling through a window which he has cleverly left a grenade behind him and you it goes on so long that you forget that he's still falling until you see his the grenade goes off and there's a huge explosion above and he continues to fall and the sh- the glass is coming down and so is the piece of paper that julia is shredding and there's that music going and like this whole ep- this episode has at least three show-stopping 
musical action sequences. And when you're done, you're like, whoa. All right, so it's not just going to be a show where they run around and chase and catch different criminals with these wacky adventures. This is what they're going to do. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good twenty two minutes of animation, right? Yeah, and, and yeah. It, it it widens the the series way out because like the ambitions of the, you could have had a series that is just them chasing bounty hunters, and maybe they could accumulate people because you know you see Ed in the in the in the credits and Faye, and like you like you could imagine it expanding even even more, right? But this show is no the, the scope of this show is going to be broader than that. It has it has larger ambitions and it can attain them, and so yes. it, it really really raises the uh, the game and 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 the show settles back down into sort of bounty of the week episodes and you get Ed and there's lots of character building and lots of stuff like that. It does settle back down like it doesn't be like they're all going to be this overblown. It's 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 spaced out in its pace, but this really knocks you back, and that's why it would be just incredible torture to just have episodes one through five <laughs> and be like, yeah. and we ran out of money, we couldn't make any more. It probably would have been a great show. We had a lot of ideas. Ideas, uh, but you're just never going to find out who those people are in that flashback. I have similar feelings about vicious episodes as I do X Files episodes about the conspiracy, and and it, they're a similar kind of a thing, like we've alluded to earlier, where they just kind of dip in. and uh, And this is definitely the one of the vicious episodes that I like the best, and that. Uh, plays the best for me and doesn't make me check my watch uh, to go, how long is this episode? It's it's easily the best of the Spike back arc. It's kind of the exciting one because it gives you these crumbs. It does not really give you any answers. It doesn't have to res- resolve anything. And and it has, it has good action sequences and it has really, really iconic, well-used music. It's, 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 it's just good. You know, if this, if you did this as a movie, it would stand up. It is, it is much more sort of dramatic scored like a film uh even the the writing and the events like make some sense because we're not at the point where spike is being willfully self-destructive like he's he's you know he he has a past and he wants to confront it he doesn't know how things are going to turn out he is you know Faye is in peril and like it, it's it, there are there are reasons for them all to be engaging in this way and we don't know what the what the deal is with the backstory so just this just says there is there is a big backstory and enjoy this exciting few sequences to, to reveal it and we'll get back to it later don't worry yeah no i think i think john john hits the nail on the head with like this sort of widened the scope of what we were looking at and gave us an idea of the backstory and the much richer world that is underneath it is also supremely choreo uh, like the choreography the fight choreography is great uh you know especially if you are watching this in your early 20s and you've you know gotten into john woo movies yeah, you need some you need some doves and a and a shootout in a church to get through the day. Yeah, otherwise, uh, yeah. otherwise I just yeah no. Uh, but that that scene in particular that you reference of the falling out of the church is is just is beautiful. Um, we haven't spoken a lot about the music on this show, but the music is such a huge part of this show. Uh, it is you know given the fact that the show is named Cowboy Bebop, like it is a huge part of the DNA. Uh, all the episodes have musical references in the titles whether they be songs uh or like types of music or what have you and yoko kano who who composed the music for the show uh is just an absolute genius uh and her her work here is is amazing because it's one of those things where it very easily could have been um just did just something that was a little too on the nose but the 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 the, the juxtaposition of him falling out of this the window and having this sort of lilting uh, you know, uh, vocal music playing in the background as he, we go through all these flashbacks with him. It just, it, it totally is one of the best, like, composed sequences, I think, in animation. 
Yeah. I, I think that the, the music throughout the series is like the cement that helps all the tonal shifts hold together. Like, it, cause, I mean, that's part of the beauty of Cowboy Bebop was we have these episodes that are just wildly different in tone and the music backs that up. And I don't know. It's hard to imagine what would this show be like if it just had kind of generic, not as good <laughs> music. And I, I think that it would be, it would, it would suffer greatly, uh, that the, the shifts in tones would just not land the way they do. That the, it's, it's, the music is bowling a lot of weight. It does. I look forward to the live action version with a score by Brian Tyler. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Well, I was saying, you, you couldn't even, ha- you couldn't even have a lot of these sequences like you couldn't do the battle fall angel sequence without the music because like try it doesn't work without the music there's no dialogue and you can't if you put in the sound effects of the guns firing of the flashbacks it wouldn't work same thing with the asteroid blues which is another yeah. episode that was on my list that whole ending sequence of that only makes sense when the music swells and they mute the audio and the guns are still firing and they're still shaking and the sirens are still going but you can't hear them anymore you just hear the saxophone and it's like so that's how this is going to be like is that it's 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 a it's not you know there's not a it's not a convention they made up themselves but they repurpose it into space noir western truck simulator it <laughs> elevates it elevates the whole show too right like it, it turns it into something that is definitely a little bit more artistic well, i mean it's, it's basically the star wars effect like star wars without star wars music is not star wars and cowboy be without the music is just not the same well, I am at the end, and like my first three picks were picked. Uh, so, uh, I think the next up in my list of episodes that I particularly enjoy, uh, we haven't mentioned, uh, Mushroom Samba yet, <laughs> which is one of the wackiest, uh, really all you have to say about Mushroom Samba is it's, it's an Ed episode. Uh, the Bebop gets crash landed and Ed gets sent to go in search of food. Which, why would you do that? Why <laughs> yeah, why would you do that? Would you Not, do that? And he, he gets sent with no money. I kind of yeah. feel like they're just trying to get rid of her at that point. Yeah. Uh, and Ed, basically, through a series of misadventures, uh, ends up in possession of some psychedelic mushrooms and... Um, you know, wackiness ensues. It's one of the more comedic, uh, wacky, wacky episodes, uh, that I find amusing. So yeah, that's my pick. And I think one of my favorite scenes is in this, which is after Ayn eats the mushroom. And he just starts like kind of hot. Yeah. It just, it's hilarious to me. I don't know why, but it just cracks me up so bad. That one. And at the very end where the train gets stopped by the cow on the tracks mm-hmm. and I, you get the one subtitled line from Ayn in the entire series. Mm-hmm. It's like thanks. <laughs> yeah, that makes me laugh too. The the slapstick parts of this episode I enjoy a great deal. Uh the things I don't enjoy a great yes. deal are the really really racist black exploitations riffs. Yep. Yes. Uh, yeah. calling yep. a character shaft, the watermelon stuff, uh mm-hmm. jet painting the the uh, the blackface uh uh ring around his mouth, just like stuff that the the th- the thing that drives me nuts about the apologism specifically about that element of this episode this episode has redeeming parts um but the the apologism of well you know the japanese don't have the kind of relationship with race that we do okay that's hogwash um it, it, just because it, it wasn't intended to be racist doesn't make something not racist it's more like they don't understand like that's that's the thing they they're they're they are doing something wrong and they don't even understand like so many people totally. don't even understand how wrong it is like there that's and that's true of uh you know most people who are like uh, all the way they even have the same thing with the sort of native american stereotype yeah. like they yeah. they see yeah. this thing from american culture and they want and they want to reflect it back so it goes back into their prison it bounces around it comes back out and you're like you have not 
you you don't even understand why that's offensive. It's like, like you put something you put an ingredient in that you didn't fully understand exactly. was like not good. <laughs> yeah, especially when they're starting with like I mean you said it they're starting with a, a black exploitation as an ingredient and it's like mm, maybe that was not the right ingredient to pick and also what you've done to it is and, and the thing is like it it appeals to them like they it, like there's this part of some other culture that appeals some, just like we do with Japanese culture I'm sure yes. something we notice that appeals to us and yet we don't understand and we're like this right and we're like. Mm, Mm, no not really <laughs> like, like you know so uh, it's it's a difficult thing for uh, many americans don't understand why those things are offensive witness you know the washington redskins and many other instances like it's <laughs> the cleveland indians like it's it you know and for a foreign culture it's, it's just not that i make excuses it's like this this explains why yeah. this happens and it continues to happen and so but yeah, that's that's definitely in the show all over the place. But but the reason I mean, part of the reason that that it doesn't that it doesn't completely taint the show for me is that there there isn't there isn't a sense of maliciousness to yes, it. Yes, right. uh, that's that's what it is. It isn't to underline and make fun of something. You know, they don't get the sombreros and ponchos are, you know, just I mean, that, that's that's, that's, that's a different not episode. the. Yeah, that's a different episode. But I'm saying, like these these different elements. If it had the tinge that you do see in other anime, um, mm-hmm. it would be more problematic than it is. And it's it, it, that that it that this is the worst it gets. Um, is is one of the reasons that I that I I, I don't want to be a full apologist for issues that that the show has on this front on you know issues of gender politics and identity. Um, uh but but i feel i feel i feel comfortable still recommending it to people it's a little mm-hmm. bit like john's point earlier from the portrayal of Faye, which is like none of the other characters in the show really react to any of the stereotypes like it's all kind of presented to the audience which is weird it like it goes into that cluelessness about it right like i feel like yeah. it's less presented in the world of the show other than as tony said they're trying to crib from something that they think they understand, but they they don't, yeah, and and that they're fans of honestly, like right, they're fans sure. of that, and they saw that and thought it was cool, and don't understand why the original was problematic, and so when they reflect it back out, they're like, "This is just like the thing you made," and like, "Yeah, it is actually like the thing we made, and the thing we made had problems." Yeah. <laughs> right. So, like, but we're we're fans. Like, it's like okay, yeah, we get it. Yeah, whereas I feel like the uh, the sexism is is uh, equally homegrown. Like they've got that over there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I will say the scene in this episode where the guy is dragging around the coffin yes. and immediately gets run over by a bus yeah. is pretty brilliant, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is the most Looney Tunes the show gets, yes. and I'm glad that they went that that loopy. And also the scene where Ed and Ian are hiding in the tent <laughs> and tempting everybody with, <laughs> with mushrooms. mushrooms. Yeah. yeah, just yeah. waiting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we love our characters, but they're real dumb they're sometimes. Dumb. They're yeah. so dumb. I like Spike bothers to pretend that he's like pickpocketed the mushroom too, which yes. is super weird. <laughs> yes. Uh, and there's the implication that they're just shiitake mushrooms at the end, right? Yeah, but mm-hmm. then they have the little teaser of Ayn hiccuping, so... Who knows? Who knows? Mm. Slash, maybe they're all just very hungry and therefore act weird. Yeah, this is definitely an anime trope. Loving renditions yeah. of food, like yes. they draw. They, mm. they, no one draws a mushroom like a Japanese animator. <laughs> uh, do we have other episodes that people want to mention now that our draft is concluded? Have we hit uh, all your favorites? Light, lightning round. Yeah, to bring out your dead lightning round. I will say that we did not discuss Piero LeFou, which is probably mm-hmm. one oh, of the, the other. The cat. That, that episode is another one of the, this this show goes to weird extremes and <laughs> genre shifts wildly. Yes. Uh, for a, like, this is one of the other sort of 
almost straight up horror episodes. I I think of this as the Batman. Yeah, I was I was gonna say (laughs) that there's a showdown in an amusement park with a guy dressed kind of like a clown. clown. Yep, most specifically Batman 1989 (laughs) episode. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then it has the whole flashback sequence that explains him set to music yes. again, another sequence of music with no dialogue and no other sound effects, which is a, a totally different genre than the Batman sequence. There's, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of dialogue in parts of this episode overall. The whole beginning scene where Spike stumbles upon the assassination uh, and there's like a whole long action chase sequence where Spike is like Spike, who is usually very laid back and confident in his ability to, you know, basically beat up anybody, gets his ass handed to him by a giant flying clown by by a guy who's like comboing him like he's in Tekken or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He- he gets stunlocked. You know, he like shoots like explosive canisters and all this stuff and like nothing is happening. This guy's just laughing and flying and it's terrifying. It is terrifying. Um, so yeah, I, I, and then the showdown in the amusement park at the end and the sort of tragic resolution of this character who was, you know, basically, uh, trained to be an assassin given superpowers, but never really, you know, basically regressed to the mind of a child. And it's, it is sad and tragic at the end there. And, and then he gets stepped on by a giant dog. He gets stepped on by a giant yeah. dog. <laughs> Which makes it okay. Tail is all this time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> when, when you get that laugh, it makes oh, everything God. that came before it okay. Oh, man. <laughs> and then the, uh, yeah, everything about this episode just is like, despite the fact that it's a fairly late episode in the show, it is probably the, sh- the episode from the back half of the series that I remember the most vividly because th- that boy, that clown. He'll stick with you. Joe Steele, what do you got? Uh, I already mentioned the Gateway Shuffle. Um, it is uh, very early in the series. It is the fourth episode in the series. Uh, I, I really like uh, the world building that this is doing. Uh, you get the whole thing about gates and hyperspace and ships and all that that fun stuff. And you also get uh, stuff about Monkeys. the colonies. You get Ganymede and uh, how there was this horrible thing that people used to eat um and now it's fallen out of popularity so they're trying to make it sound fancy again and then there's eco-terrorists who are bananas um and uh have weird weird sea rat hats um and have formulated a <laughs> virus that's going to turn people into monkeys uh it is it is a really uh, wacky episode that uh doesn't quite measure up um in terms of like my my appreciation for toys in the attic uh which has the full cast and does more stuff i think uh this this one does a lot of heavy lifting for world building so i, I really like yeah. this one uh moises you got anything left um had somebody already picked cowboy funk uh i think we mentioned cowboy we mentioned Andy, cowboy yeah we mentioned it okay well then forget it i'll, I'll say brain scratch um mm-hmm. I, I like uh consciousness uploading stuff yeah this is the uh, ghost in the shell episode as i think of it so <laughs> it's creepy i like that it handles it where where it seems like it's it's very ghost in the shell very serious and then it's it's more touching and metaphorical and um and yeah 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 okay the, all that all that serious consciousness uploading anime stuff is fine and everything but we're not it's doing that got like the hail bop mm-hmm. comet thing also and- uh, Ein get, gets to save the day. Oh, yes. Ein so. is the hacker. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's good. That reminds me of, sorry, the one moment I forgot from Pio LeFou, which is I like when Ed is breaking into the files with uh, her hacking program and it keeps yeah. getting rejected. And then she does like, there's the giant Ed faces as she like brute forces her, her way into that file. That's another sleeper detail. Like, so Ein is a data dog, right? From the first yeah. episode. Data dog doesn't do any data stuff for a long time. You're like, data dog? Like, well, but you can already take it seriously. Like, it's just a 
the dog, right? And then you go to this episode and Ayn, like, you know, hacks its way in and you're like, oh, see, data dog. Ayn, Ayn, does, Ayn does little things throughout the the show that when you rewatch it, you go, oh, super it, intelligent yeah. dog. Okay, I get it. All right. Well, it's, 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 it's that question of, is Ayn really smart or is the people around Ayn just not so smart? <laughs> There's that, but also, like, I like the fact that when Ayn takes over and does the hacking... Ed is delighted that, you yes. know, she's not actually the one typing, but she doesn't tell anybody. She doesn't say, like, everyone else thinks Ed is doing the hacking, but yeah. it's actually the dog. And Ayn's like, oh, this is awesome. You know, it's like, oh, this is awesome. The dog's doing it, but doesn't say, hey, guys, our dog is, this is a hacker dog. Nope. Doesn't mention it. If if there is one <laughs> thing missing from this entire show, it's that we never got, like, the full, like, Ayn episode that we, that we deserve. Ayn's backstory. Yeah. Yeah, there's where's the where's the pizza dog version of an Ayn episode? Look, the, yeah. The adventure the adventure that's why we need the adventures of yeah. Ed and Ayn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want an Ayn centric episode where it's Ayn going having adventures, you know, by himself without the rest of the team. <laughs> uh John, do you have any uh bring out your dead for us? Uh, my list was uh, Asteroid Blues, Battle of Fallen Angels, mm-hmm. Lies in the Attic, Speak Like a Child, and Hard Luck Woman. So I think we already talked about them. So I will take my brief time slot to mention the fact <laughs> that uh, this, like um, many other anime, you may notice in the credits that there is a mecha designer that is credited. Oh, and yeah. I think Thank you for the, there's not a lot of mecha in this show, but the ships, the swordfish, and like the individual ships of the characters have personalities. There are swordfish-centric episodes, unlike Ein-centric episodes. And I think the designs of all of the mecha and hardware in the show is phenomenal uh and they it's shown off to great effect in the show and also in the credit sequence they're iconic ships i'm so glad you mentioned that it's it's proof of a bunch of creatives who are super tired of making traditional mecha anime who are finally able to design things that look cool and feel cool and have a personality to them and, and aren't just humanoid looking robots yeah they aren't just different different colors of the same robots with different antennas and wings I mean, I think yeah. there was like literally a, a point in the development cycle for this where like they were told you can do whatever you want as long as we can make toys for it. And then they decided like, actually, we don't really care about the toys. Yeah, the swordfish toy would break in two seconds. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I, and yeah. I have to say, I agree. I, you know, I'm so glad you brought this up because I was one of the things that struck me rewatching the show is just the, the kinetic nature of the ships when they're flying them. We get a lot of close ups of like the people's hands on the controls or their feet, um, or the swordfish and the way it breaks and turns and all of that. And it is incredibly detailed and it feels very concrete in a way that I feel like, you know, Star Wars again is an example, does a really nice job of that. And this is one of the other really good examples of these things feeling like machines that have parts and work in a way that makes sense. And even though the technology does not really hold up necessarily 20 years later in terms of like, oh, yes, your your smartphones have giant buttons on them. Sure. Why not? Um, but like, I love the look of all the everything that's mechanical and mechanistic in the show. Uh, it's just the motion of all of it and the use of all of it feels really good. And I imagine, you know, I'm sure Moises has something to say about this. But the the other thing I feel like it works well with is the the uh, the kineticism of the martial arts, especially Spike, uh, his martial arts style, which I believe is Jeet Kune Do, right? Like the Bruce Lee's fighting yeah, style. Yeah, modeled directly on the Bruce Lee yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, and like the motion of him when he is fighting is one of, it's just beautiful. It is beautifully animated. The the last the thing I want to add, which I also really love in this show, is the episode previews. 
I don't know if you guys watch these, but they're at the end of each episode, they preview mm-hmm. the next episode. The episode previews... They're intentionally misleading. They're bananas. They are so... They're fourth, fourth wall breaking. They're fourth wall breaking. They're bizarre. There's one... But they're that, in character. There's one that Ayn does. Like, there's one that... Ayn talks. Yeah, Ayn talks through one of them. Uh, Ed has one that's just nonsensical. A lot of times, there's one... Where, there's, like, one early on where they're like, well, we had a good run. This is the next episode's the last episode of the show. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Like, they're just really weird and delightful in a way that episode previews are not something that you think of as having any sort of artistic merit behind them. But again, like, it seems like they were told, like... Yeah, just do whatever you want. Like, just voice these over as the characters uh, and have a good time because they're very, very strange and delightful. I wanted to I wanted to mention the uh, upcoming live alleged, uh, uh, you know, they're they've put money on it. They have executive producers on it. Netflix live action series. Uh, when they were talking about adapting this as a movie, I thought that was a weird choice, especially because and I know we're, we didn't watch as homework the cowboy bebop movie knocking on heaven's door which takes place between episodes 22 and 23 but having watched it one of the things that made it feel weird to me was it it was it was basically an episode stretched out to two hours and it didn't it didn't feel like the way that cowboy bebop feels i kind of have that feeling about some of the the batman animated series movies where it's like you know what (laughs) this was this was real good it's 22 minutes and uh you know sometimes you can pull off a two-parter but you know what you know longer than that is uh yeah the the pacing i you know my my feeling about the netflix adaptation is i feel better about the notion of a live action uh television series uh rather than a series of movies that are designed around the way that things were being done in the mid 2000s um and and i you know if if it's being adapted into live action i feel better about it serialized than as a series of movies that we get every two years starring keanu reeves as much as i like keanu reeves uh it just it you know i I am hopefully optimistic about it. I guess I'm I'm just a curmudgeon. So like to me, it's like the the anime has not been lost to the sands of time. Like it's not yeah. like we need to rebuild this in yeah. order for a new generation to enjoy it. We still have it. Dan has the Blu-rays on his shelf, <laughs> and it still feels modern too. But like there's yeah. there's this desire to do live actions versions of animation. I I have yet to see a live action incarnation of animation that I like. But I think it's possible to do it if this you're merely inspired by the anime. If you if you try to remake it live action i don't think you will ever be successful but you can be inspired by it and make a good show inspired by that universe that may be possible but we'll see i i mean one one element of it john uh that i i think it's weird to me wrapping my head around seeing it in a live action series is how they would do the intro yeah so the the intro is a good place to end uh the start of this show as you know this is another anime trope having really uh they spend a lot of money on the introduction to the show. There's usually a theme song. There's, there's an animated sequence that shows you characters or things from the show. Uh, and those are often more fun and uh, more money is spent <laughs> on them than an entire episode. Sometimes Cowboy Bebop has an amazing one, uh, taking yeah. some uh, American culture and reflecting it back on ourselves. The, the Saul Bass style uh, mm-hmm. introduction. And if you've seen other introductions that, that ape this style, like there are many of them in the world of, of movies and TV. It is not easy to do this sort of homage remix thing in that style and be successful. You can you can just go on YouTube and find 50 things that are like this style, and you're like, oh, I see what you're trying to imitate, but it's not good. This is an example of them taking part of American culture and you know existing artistic work that they are clearly fans of and doing what you want to see from a remix, which is 
we take it, we pump it through our sensibilities and our talents, and we come out with something that is arguably even better because it builds on the thing that came before. And it's sort of in the in the best case of a Quentin Tarantino type scenario, remixing all of his influences or whatever. Same thing. I feel like this this intro is one of the best uh, anime series intros, one of the best television show intros ever. A great song and a, an impeccable execution with a with a, a you know an anime twist where where they're featuring again the the mecha design as prominently as the character design because that's what they're proud of as well they should be it's nearly perfect i would say it's a combination of saul bass and uh also a little bit of james bond uh opening mm-hmm. title sequence. oh for sure for sure yeah yeah because uh, you you get stuff like uh, like Saul Bass would be like big blocky stuff uh, coming on and like the huge blocky colors, but it wouldn't be the fluid motion of somebody t- spinning around with a gun. S- silhouettes of dancing women and guns. Yeah, yeah. The 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 one regrettable part of it is the is the the jiggle bit uh, toward the end of it. Yeah, that's uh, for me. Otherwise, totally but perfect. The, but that's a James Bond yeah. homage. James Bond had yeah. that, and it was just as problematic there. <laughs> there it is, right back in her face. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I've. I've seen the opening um, hundreds of times i've listened to it just the audio of it thousands of times and it's like i get amped every time uh, and you know it still works that that music track tank 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 is what got me up in the morning to go to class uh on mornings i really did not want to go to underwater archaeology at 7 a.m wow we talked about the music a lot but like just the, you can't uh, under you, you know you can't overstate like how much that song sets the tone of the show because it is so unlike I watched a lot of anime up until the point I watched Cowboy Bebop and you're going to have a hard time finding like there's a lot of shows with these really upbeat poppy titles a lot of J-pop there's a lot of J-pop songs which are which are great but this is so clearly different this is not that and it is and it is just so different from everything that I've yeah. ever seen before it that it immediately grabs I mean you. there's a lot of anime there's a lot of anime openings I love because they like they make me remember the show and how much I enjoyed the show. Yeah, yeah. But this one has such a like <laughs> an effect on you of, of just your you know you are excited and ready to go. Uh, and you know if lis- listeners at, at this point you you obviously have have seen Cowboy Bebop. If you are now like it's time to go back and watch it again. How am I going to trick some friends and family into watching it with me? You know, go to YouTube and show people that opening sequence. And if they don't want to like watch at least an episode or two of that, they're not your friend. They're a monster. <laughs> wearing your friend's skin as a suit um, and i'm scared for your safety run run listener i have uh, one little plug if if this if if you're still hungering for yet a little bit more cowboy bebop stuff a few years ago uh, i posted an episode of electric shadow that was an interview with steve bloom and mary mcglynn mary mcglynn who was the adr director for the english dub and also plays julia uh and uh, they talk about making the show and also these many years later falling in love so spike and julia <laughs> spoil Spoiler wow. alert, do in fact end up together and everything's fine. <laughs> well, we have uh, we have talked about Cowboy Bebop for a long time, not as long as the series itself, uh, but for the length of many episodes. So I think it is time uh, to wrap things up, Space Cowboys. Uh, I'd like to uh, to thank my guests. Uh, Dan Morin, thank you for being here. See you, Space Cowboy. Joe Steele, a pleasure as always. Thank you. Iconic stomach gurgling, starving noise, <laughs> signing off. <laughs> Uh, yeah, please go eat, Joe. Uh, Aline Sims, thanks for being here. Thanks. I'm trying to think of a quote from Big Shot, and I can't. So. You know, it's hard. It's hard when you know subtitled shows are slightly less quotable. It's tricky. Um, Moises Chuyan, how are you? Shucks, howdy, Tony. I'm there doing great. You go. 
<laughs> Thank you, Moises. And last but not least, John Syracuse. I think we're all going to carry that weight. Is that how we end? <laughs> yeah. Tony, there's no beef in this. <laughs> I've been Tony Sindelar filling in for Jason Stell, who's on assignment. His assignment is to watch more Cowboy Bebop. Uh, he'll be back as normal next week. See you then. 